And so the Yang Spring Point kind of fires in response to the stimuli that we received in the Jing Well Point. And the Shu Stream behind that essentially, you know, the, the, the Ying Spring fires up the Yang, the Shu Stream fires up the Yin. We have to have the two connected. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation. There's something satisfying about creating something tangible. The well-cooked meal, wooden bookshelves, satiny finished floors, the sparkle of clean, transparent windows. It's reassuring to see notable traces of our life writ into the substances of being. The feeling of satisfied completion that naturally arises through the effort of hands, mind, and capacity that leaves a trace of our having been here, like the wake of a boat cuts a glimmer in its transit through the water, our spirit seeks meaning. And the E seeks a reflection of its significance. Seeing a tangible marker of our effort and attention, there's a reassurance to it. It's harder to have a commensurate sense of satisfaction with ideas and ideals. Those are fleeting. They don't endure. Build a house, and it will, if well-constructed, easily outlast you. But ideas? Those are not things in the world. They are Thoughts in the mind, a flickering candle, its traces more difficult to see in the world of the formed, its existence completely reliant on its capacity to alight and lodge in the mind of another. Ideas are unsteady, volatile, and potent. Potent in the way the fury of a hurricane is potent. Dangerous in the way it powers the invisible into the visible and, like wind, mutable, fleeting given to dispersion. Perhaps I love the tangible as it is a buffer between the fleeting moments of life. The solidity of the tangible is an anchor in the slipstream of time. It chains together moments with reassuring persistence. There's a deep satisfaction in looking at your handiwork, to gaze with a sense of accomplishment on the result of thought, effort, and skill, be it rockets, a repaired sticky door, a business that helps others, a well-ordered desk, or a moment of reflection caught in paper with a brush and ink. Handiwork says, I was here. I did something. It's meaning made manifest, a demonstration of grit, a reflection, a persistent effort, a memorial to attention over time. It's proof that something mattered enough to be wrought into form. Sometimes we see this in medicine. Persisting positive change in health, a trouble that disappears. But often enough in our work, the results are fleeting. Time wears away everything, including us. It's a curious thing working with health because perfect health, it feels like nothing at all. We do without a thought to the action. Muscles, joints, and nerves, they all work in seamless harmony. There's nothing notable to it. And as a practitioner, I find myself constantly on the uncomfortable edge of wondering if what I do in my work has much meaning due to the intangibility of most of the enterprise. We assist and accompany our patients, but they are the ones who create any healing or change for themselves. So even on a good day, I come up empty-handed, which is how it should be. 
Still, it leaves me longing for the tangible. I often loiter in the speculation of where healing comes from. For sure, there is a role we play as practitioners, but it seems to me that in the end, it's always the patient, their Zheng Qi, and their essence that does the actual work. The work of the healing trades, it's like that of an enzyme, there for a moment to catalyze a latent possibility, and then gone. Our best work, it leaves no fingerprints. But we should not assume that because the work is fleeting, that it does not have a rhythm, rhyme, and reason. There are dynamics to attend to. Flows and tides, it's best to sail with. We'll be getting into this with our guest, Sean Tootin, in just a moment. Stay with us. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
I love how technology can help to automate my office, and I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hello, welcome. My name is Chris Shelton, and I've been practicing the ancient art of Qigong and Tai Chi for over 30 years now. I've actually been studying, and also classical Chinese medicine. My introduction to Qigong was because I had a heart attack, well, actually two heart attacks by the time I was 19 years old from a meth overdose. And so after the second one, I finally realized, you know what, Chris, you're going to end up dead in prison or both. And so I put myself into Taekwondo. And then one night before a fight, I was accidentally kicked in the back and left me with a severe back injury led me to a physician and this physician had a therapist working for her and he was a martial artist and he started talking to me about chi well you know i'm like 20 21 years old now and i thought yeah right the closest thing to chi i could get is like cheese it's and cheese whiz so he started talking to me about these qigong classes and back then nobody was talking about qigong or very little i mean kung fu was gaining momentum because of people like chuck norris and bruce lee etc but as far as like tai chi and qigong not too many people here Anyways, I started taking these classes. I had nothing to lose. I had other health problems too. I, for years, suffered from seasonal allergies. I also had chronic sinusitis. I also had chronic digestive issues. If I was to eat an avocado or a salad, I was in the fetal position or vomiting two or three hours later, especially between the hours of one and three in the morning. And I lived on all kinds of medications. And thank God they did not take out my gallbladder back then because nowadays they probably would have taken out my gallbladder struggled with this for quite a few years and I kid you not I started taking these qigong classes and within about six months I couldn't tell you when exactly what the exact date was but all of a sudden the realization that wow when did I stop living on the antibiotics when did I stop living on things like Sudafed and Actifed Tums all these kind of over-the-counter products as well too when was I able to finally eat something like an avocado and not be in a fetal position a couple hours later So I thought to myself, if a simple, gentle practice in specific meditation and movement could do this to me, which Qigong gave me, 
then I thought to myself, well, there must be something to the medicine. And then that's when I started studying Chinese medicine. Fast forward, what I realized is after starting the foundations and the leading cause of death and disease is negative emotions, besides poor diet and not eating and exercising properly. But negative emotions are the leading cause of death and disease and creates all types of forms of inflammation. I finally realized that what had happened with my digestive issue because I grew up in such a dysfunctional home where there's a lot of violence, neglect, a lot of fighting, it just wasn't a good environment. I realized that the stomach issues was due to a liver imbalance because of all the repressed resentment and anger that I had. And when I was younger, in my 20s, you know, people would say, Chris, you're angry. I'd be like, oh, screw you. You're angry. What are you talking about? And the realization is, is that I was. This also contributed to those stomach issues. Our main mission is to be able to give people tools to deal with their mental emotional trauma, present as well as past. And I'll get into this towards the end of the conversation. One of the big things that we do is we give a lot of practices to like the Special Olympics and to the Santa Clara County Health Department and such for mental emotional wellness. And these Qigong practices are very simple to do and anybody can do them. Now for me, studying with my teacher Esther Su on Tong style acupuncture, I was lucky enough to do a two and a half year private tutorialship with her and really got to get the philosophy and, the, and how Confucianism rolled into it and Taoism rolled into the art form that she was teaching me. And this realization that how emotions and Qigong is actually the foundation of Chinese medicine because thousands of years ago, people were so enlightened and connected to source minus the ego that they were able to understand the interconnectedness between our environment, the interconnectedness between the movement of the sun, moon, and stars, and understand how our emotions actually create certain dysfunctions within certain organs and specific organs, and then will show up as chronic disease and illness. So today what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd share a couple of practices. I have a whole YouTube channel. We have a whole Qi Club. We'll get into that towards the very end. A couple of simple Qigong practices that when I'm hired as a keynote speaker to give talks to like trauma nurses and doctors on disease prevention or going into the jails and giving talks on disease prevention, these are a couple of the practices that I love to give. Turn off your phone. Unplug from everything. Find yourself a very comfortable position, either a seated or lying down position. Toes are pointing slightly straight ahead, tucking the sacrum underneath, pressing back the Ming Men, right opposite the belly button between the left and the right kidney. Tip of the tongue gently curls to the roof of the mouth behind the teeth, as if saying the letter N. Going to close your eyes. We're going to go on an inward journey together, focusing on our body. The breath long, steady, even and deep into the lower abdomen. So as we breathe, we feel this abdomen expand and contract with each inhalation and exhalation. The purpose of this meditation is for you to get out of your head and back into your body, but more importantly, to be able to know your body inside and out, to be that consciously aware so one is fun, we're going to begin to melt down through the front of the body. So imagine a smiling face on the front of the forehead. Imagine warm oil that begins to melt down through the front of the forehead, the brow bone, eyebrows and eyes, flowing and pouring into the temples. Feel every inch, every cell, every tissue 
As this warm oil flows down to the nose, the cheeks, the front of the ears, the base of the nose, the lips, the chin, the jaw structure, flowing and pouring now you relax through the front of the throat and neck. Feel as this warm oil envelops the upper shoulders, chest, the biceps flowing through the elbow creases, the forearms, the wrists, the palms of the hands leading all the way up to the fingertips. And keeping a strong connection between heaven and earth, this warm oil flows down through the chest, the abdomen, the flanks of the body, flowing down through the groin, through the thighs, relaxing the knees, the shins, the ankles, the top of the feet and toes, all connecting, all flowing off deep into the ground. And from here, just take a moment to just feel your body from head to toe simultaneously, focusing on what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, being in the present moment, being in the now. And take a moment now to feel what's behind you from head to toe. Feel the left and right sides of the body. And now consciously feel front, back, left and right. And next, connecting with your higher power. Imagine this white light that flows down through the center of our being, illuminating our senses of what's going on inside of us, first enveloping the brain. Feel the left and right hemispheres of the brain, the space between the brain and the skull, flowing and pouring. Visualizing and feeling the pineal gland, pituitary connecting from behind the eyes, the nerves that connect from behind the eyes to the center of the brain. The bones of the face, the sinus cavity, all the small bones, muscles, blood vessels. You now visualize and feel the inner ear, the brain stem, the upper palate of the mouth, the teeth, the gums, the lower palate, the tongue, flowing and pouring down through the center of the neck and throat, through the arteries, the muscles, branching off into the bones and fascia of the upper chest, back and shoulders, inch by inch, cell by cell, traveling through the inside of our bodies. Feel what's there. The center of the arms, the center of the biceps, triceps. Feel the arteries, the center of the elbows, the center of the forearms. All the small bones and ligaments of the wrist, hands and fingers. And as you travel down each vertebra, we now go into the clavicle. You visualize and feel the ribs. Feel the ribs as they wrap around to the spine on the back. Visualizing the intercostal spaces between the ribs. Visualizing and feeling now the lungs. Feeling the breath of life, the chi of life. Expanding those lungs. The heart, the pericardium. Flowing and pouring as this white light fills up into the liver and gallbladder on the right side of the body. The stomach, the spleen, the pancreas. Flowing into the kidneys. Feel your intestines, the bladder, the pelvic bone, the sacrum, the hips. Feel the insertion of the femurs of the bones of the legs into the hips. Femoral arteries, the main arteries that travel down from the inner part of the groin nourishing and extending all the way out to the feet and toes. Feel the muscles of the legs, center of the knees, 
the center of the shins and calves, ankles, and all the small bones and ligaments of the feet and toes. And allow for this white light to flow down deep into the ground. And from there, imagine your feet melting into the earth like you're standing on a sea of liquid energy comes up out the height of the ankles. Next, imagine roots growing out from the bubbling well points, the kidney one points at the bottom of the feet, twice the height of the body. And as you inhale, you feel this golden light race up the roots, up the legs, into the visceral cavity as you inhale. And then as you exhale, allow for this light to release out any toxicity out the legs, out the roots, down deep into the ground. A few more breaths, inhaling. Feel the golden light racing up the roots, up the legs, into the abdominal cavity as we inhale, clearing out these internal organs, and then as we exhale, releasing back out any toxicity, back out the legs, out the roots, and down deep into the ground. And one more breath. Feel the light, feel the golden light from the earth, up the roots, up heels, up the legs, into the abdominal cavity, and then as you exhale, releasing out any toxicity. And then from there, just take a moment to feel your body. Feel what's there. Taking a mental note. And from here, I want you now to imagine a pink cloud filling up into the chest, filling up into your heart. Focusing on the emotions of abandonment, loneliness, lack of joy, or any emotions that come up for you, anxiety, sorrow, disappointment, irritation. Feel it now. If it is something in the past, is it something in the present? Who's involved, what's involved? Bring it to the present moment. And as you inhale, feel that pink cloud fill up into the heart and pericardium and lifting the chin gently as we exhale, making the ha sound, releasing the negative trauma. Inhale. Letting go. Inhale. doing a few underneath our breath, inhaling. And as we let go of the pain, the past or present trauma, the positive virtue of love, universal love takes the place of the abandonment, the loneliness, the lack of joy. It's letting that go. Every time we inhale, the pink cloud envelops the heart. And as we exhale, making the ha sound underneath our breath, allowing for that trauma to leave like a dark cloud, going several feet away from the body, deep into the ground. Doing one more breath. And slowly coming back to the present. Gathering, open up your eyes, feeling grounded, feeling connected, feeling better than ever. All right.
right. All right, so how does everybody feel? So this is just a small example of some of the Qigong practices that we teach for mental health. And the heart is the emperor or empress of the body. It will dictate how much of an emotion will be expressed or suppressed. With the thousands of people that I've seen in clinical practice throughout the years as well as around the world, these are the practices that I give to people in order to enhance their healing process. So what it does is it actually empowers the patient to be able to help take care of their own health care, to be a participant in the healing process. And when they understand the different negative emotions actually show up as disease inside the body, then they actually have tools and these Qigong practices are the very tools that they can utilize at any time in order to deal with past or present trauma. If you want more information about these Qigong practices and how it applies to your clinical practice, please join us for the Holistic Healthcare Provider Masterclass on August 1st through the 4th. So check out the link below and we'll be able to send you out more information on this, but please sign up for that. And we're gonna have a great discussion on how negative emotions show up as disease, as well as how these Qigong practices transform the disease process. And if you're somebody that wants to actually become a teacher trainer and actually apply this to your healthcare regimen, as well as to your patients and to your clients, please join us and sign up for our teacher training program. And the next launch day for that is August 14th. So the cool thing about our Qigong teacher training program is that we have California CEUs that are available when you sign up. So this is a great opportunity to get your CEUs and also to add another valuable practice to your existing practice. I'd like to thank Michael Max once again for having me on his podcast. And we actually had another fun discussion. Him and I had a fun discussion together on how suffering is essential for transformation. So go back, check that one out. And once again, my name is Chris Shelton, and until next time, I will chi you later. Sean Tootin, welcome to Geological. Well, thank you so much for having me. Delighted to have you here. It's always fun to talk about Chinese medicine, isn't it? I agree. I get pretty worked up about it, as my students will tell you. Yeah. So Chinese medicine... How on earth did you come across Chinese medicine? You know, I mean, we're kind of of a generation. I mean, it's not like something you heard about or studied much in high school, I suspect. Or did you? I No, I absolutely did not. It was a pretty strange journey, frankly. I had, from college, I had moved to Zimbabwe to work with a Danish non-governmental organization. And when I came back to the States having felt relatively ineffectual there. I was looking for something that I could go back and offer. I made really close friends. The, the AIDS epidemic was just ravaging the country. And um, so I, I got into farming and food security issues. And But eventually, a friend of mine suggested that if you got a license in oriental medicine, as it was called at the time, you could practice herbs and acupuncture and all of these other things. And I had never heard about acupuncture before, literally in, in my life. And uh, that was on a Tuesday and I was enrolled in, and I was enrolled in school on Friday. Seriously? Yep. That's the truth. And, uh, my very first day of school, my very first class, my very first teacher, 
Uh, I really liked the class, and I asked her if she wanted to start a uh, HIV clinic with me in Southern Africa, and she said yes, and so we did, and that's how I found my way into Chinese medicine. Holy smokes. You heard about it on a Tuesday. You're enrolled in school on a Friday. Well, I, I had a guest on the show a while back. When I asked him this question, he said, well, I was at a restaurant, and I heard these two girls behind me talking, and one of them said, I'm going to acupuncture school, and he was like, yep, I'm going to do that too. You know, sometimes your destiny just sort of hits you in the face, I've found. Sometimes it does, doesn't it? And, and you were present enough to catch that. What an amazing bit of, uh, you know, the Chinese would call it you're in fun, like fate, like, like opportunity meets willingness that in your first class, you hit it off with the teacher and you go, how about making a clinic in, uh, in Africa? And your teacher said, okay. Yeah, it really, it really actually did go that way. And it was a great project. I was really, I was really proud of that project. We ran it for eight years. And we worked with uh, local non-governmental organizations, you know, little grassroots groups, not, not big ones. And, uh, and we had hooked up with um, nangas, which are like traditional healers, sp spirit medicine, essentially. So we had this great little coalition that we were working together with. And they were getting great results just doing a lot of work around um, just diet and nutrition. Because, I mean, food security is such a huge issue. So gardening and, and those types of issues. And, you know, there's a long history of um, cutting in in Zimbabwe where we worked to, you know, I don't want to simplify things, but, but essentially to let bad spirits out, you know, to, to release bad spirits. And so bleeding wasn't, you know, it wasn't something really foreign to people. And we came in and we did a lot of trainings. We trained, you know, we, we sort of took a like barefoot doctor approach. We trained a lot of people in, basic, simple stuff, you know, auricular acupuncture that they could do. And we started working with, you know, herbs generously donated from companies like Golden Flower Chinese Herbs until it just got too dangerous, frankly. Uh, and, and we kind of had to give up on the project. But it was one of the first, I don't know if it was the first, but it was one of the first organizations doing that kind of work with with acupuncture. And so we were you know, talking with like acupuncturists without borders and the Pan-African Acupuncture Project back in the day. Now, back in the day, what years are these? So we started that in 99, right when I started going to school. And I finished school in 2002. So you were doing this work in Africa concurrent with going to school? Yeah, I wasn't, I didn't do much of the traveling. My partner, Dr. Elizabeth Cecchio, did most of the traveling because I had because I had school. And then um, when I got out, very, very quickly, I started teaching. And so that took up a lot of time as well. Um, it was a lot of travel and a lot of time. But we, we sort of, you know, we'd, we would try to go over regularly and, and uh, organize projects and coordinate, you know, what we were doing with the groups that were already working over there. And uh, I mean, it was a, you know, it's, you're swimming upstream. Um, with something like that. How are you swimming upstream? I mean, I mean, I mean, like you were saying, you, you've got a culture, bloodletting is not foreign. 
Yeah, it's well, I mean, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was, you know, of working age people in the country at the time, the numbers were well over 50%. You know, half the country working age were HIV positive. I, you know, it was just a massive epidemic. So, and there's, you know, it's, they did quite well there for a bit. Um, you know, after they gained independence in, in 1980, they were a socialist country and they did well for a bit. And people had sort of universal health care and there was some food security. But then it, you know, it really started to collapse really in the 90s and, you know, up until today where it's just a, it's just a disaster. So it's hard when there's, no, you know, there's not many resources. There's not much, you know, food. I mean, I, I still to this day have friends walking 40 kilometers a day just to get water to drink. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it is, it's an uphill battle. But um, we, you know, we were both, I think, proud of that project initially. And it's certainly, you know, like, like you said earlier, it's one of these things where you sort of don't really expect, you know, you just jump on the train and the train is, is sort of going, you know. And so I, I really followed that for a while. And Yeah. Have you always been like that? Have you been that kind of a person where something comes along and you go, oh, yeah, that, and you jump on it? It's eased a little bit as I've gotten older. I'm, I'm a little bit more cautious, you know, and maybe mindful with my life decisions, but uh, not that much. Yeah, it's pretty much always been that way. Yeah, so you, you work on inspiration. I, I definitely work on inspiration. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would say probably my clinical practice is the same. Yeah. Wow. What would you say your time in Zimbabwe, what was like the big thing that you learned? It's so all-encompassing. I mean, it really changed my life. I don't, I don't think you can live in a place with such different socioeconomics and have it not strongly impact your perception of the world. I'm very, very minimalist, and I would probably argue that that's the result of of uh, living there. I've always lived in small places. I don't have very much stuff because you you see what you do need and and what you don't need. And this is a trope, and I'm always a little hesitant to 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 sort of bring it up because I don't want to sort of invoke that trope, but. I'll tell you what, it's, there's also real truth to it. There was, there was just such a degree of joy and I would say spiritual freedom, you know, singing most of the time, certainly when there's any work to be done. Singing when there's work to be done. It's, they know how to, you know, enjoy themselves. <laughs> and I think one of the other things that I really took from it was that, you know, nobody works unless there's actually work to do. You know, they don't make things up to do like I've certainly experienced in, in the West and personally. I mean, it's a really, it's a struggle. You know, it's like nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, and so we fill our time and space. And I think it's one of the, I mean, it's one of the things you really struggle with in practice is there's such a degree and especially after the last few years there's such a degree of anxiety and i think people tend to fill that 
space up with whatever they can to essentially avoid feeling how they actually feel. I mean, I think that's the under, underlying sort of challenge of medicine is that most people will do just about anything to feel differently than the way that they feel and not necessarily better. You know, we had this conversation in one of my classes, which I thought was a really good conversation maybe a year ago that I'll never forget where, you know, one of my students asked, why do people do things that, you know, we all know are bad for you, drugs, alcohol, sugar, sex, shopping, TV. I mean, you can list any of them. And, uh, and it was, it was my assertion that people aren't trying to actually feel better. They're trying to feel different. You know, they're just trying to avoid how they feel in the moment and they'll take basically any pathway to get there. And I think a lot of medicine is about slowing down and accepting acceptance, you know, accepting how you feel. Yeah. I hear you on that. I find that, uh, contentment, being content with whatever is happening in the moment in particular, but contentment, it's like, that's a tough one. Like, who am I to be contented? And, you know, contentment's not a virtue. It's like, well, are you sure? <laughs> I come from a family where busy is good. Like, how you doing these days? Like, what's going on? Oh, I'm so busy. That's a virtue, at least where I come from. But it's n not helpful in so many situations. And like you say, fantastic way to avoid, well, actually, how are you doing? How are you sleeping? You know, how's your digestion? How are you in a quiet moment, if you even have one? <laughs> You're right. Yeah, and it's a challenge. And I think a lot of people avoid that at all cost, or most cost. <laughs> you know, I think that's a lot of what good therapy, and I consider acupuncture to be very, very good therapy, does, you know, is slow you down enough to figure out where you actually are. Why are you doing the, the things that you are doing? That's a big question that I like to ask patients, you know, why? And there's so much pressure. I mean, there's so much social pressure for us to act in certain ways. And like you say, busyness is absolutely a virtue these days. I mean, it's a badge of honor that people wear. Oh, I'm busy all the time. I never have a minute. So busy. I'm exhausted. Oh, look at me. So exhausted. Me good. Right, exactly. Like you're contributing, you know? And I think there's, I mean, I certainly think there's value to that. I do kind of strongly believe in the value of, you know, in trying to contribute to the the matrix, the sinew soup, you know, that we, that we live in, the, the collective. But there's so little value on, you know, just actually clarifying for yourself why why you're doing these things i mean you get on the treadmill and it and i find this is i think at least that i find this is even almost more true as you get a little bit older you know you're you've been on the treadmill for a while and it's just going faster and faster and faster and it gets a little bit harder to sort of step off and pull yourself back and, you know, get a little perspective on sort of where you are. Like, did you actually decide to end up here? Have you ever mindfully thought about where you are and, you know, where you're actually trying to go? Or are we just kind of stuck in the rat race? And I mean, we've all heard the joke, right? Like half of acupuncture is pinning people down to the treatment table for an hour. 
which I don't actually agree with, but I, I think it's a decent joke. Well, there, there, there is an aspect of that. Like, okay, for the next 20 minutes, 25, 30, whatever, like, you're not going to want to be moving around a whole lot. You got pins in you. And most people are like, oh, shit, I got pins in me. Okay, I, I, I don't know if I should move. Yeah, literally be pinned to the table like a butterfly. That is something. Now, there's all the things that acupuncture does as well in inviting out aspects of ourselves that are latent or gone to sleep or gotten confused or lost or whatever. There's that, but yeah, for a moment to not even have permission to not move. It's just, oh, stay here. Don't move. I mean, as we're having this conversation, because it is a joke that we make about pinning them to the table, but we were also talking about how the mind works and the mind is like going, going, going. And for a moment to engage the mind without trying to change what's going on, that's powerful. And I would even argue it's it's almost more profound than that. I kind of see it as shifting from mind to heart. The mind is concerned really only with the, like the po, the physical body, our sort of f- physical needs. I don't find that the mind is very helpful or supportive or useful as far as our spiritual needs, you know, and to sort of, but it's a powerful structure in the body. It has that close relationship to the, it has the relationship to the water element, to the kidney, to the bladder, you know, to, to fear, which is good. I mean, obviously we need that. You don't want to walk out in the middle of the road into oncoming traffic, but, but that chance to kind of pull back and reflect and really try to center in on the heart and the spirit and purpose, you know, and meaning, I think, is can be really profound and really challenging. I mean, I have a lot of patients that get very, very restless and agitated and uncomfortable when forced to lay there for 20 minutes and, and deal with themselves, um, myself included. And it's, but I think that's part of the profound work that acupuncture can offer people that I'm not sure, you know, a lot of other medicine does. Even in my shortest treatments, usually I'm letting people rest by themselves for at least 10, 10 to 15 minutes at some point during the treatment. You know, you don't, you don't get that in body work, right? Somebody's con- there's constant stimulation, right? That's coming from the exterior or talk therapy or any other kind of therapy really that I can, that I can think of. So a therapy where you're sort of with yourself and have that opportunity, I think is really profound. Agreed. And unlike meditation, where a lot of people say, well, I can't do that because my mind won't settle down. Well, duh, you're a human. Good luck with that. Right. The needles, often often enough, will kind of evoke something from the inside. There will be a settling. There'll be a a kind of a calming. Sometimes, I mean, often, I'm sure you've had this. Listeners, of course, have heard this too. People say, oh, I had a little nap. It's like, "Mm, was it a nap? There's there's that kind of in-between twilight-ish 
I had a woman the other day who, and again, her, it was, I hear this all the time, just like you, I can't make my mind stop, you know, and, and, and which I think is funny these days. Cause like, well, you're a human being. Of course you can't get your mind to stop. Duh. I, well, I don't know about ever. Yeah, that's, you're right. Okay. I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but. But it gets hard. I think it's harder. Yeah. Just look at the history and, you know, some of the great sages are all saying the same damn thing to all of us humans running around. But what she said was interesting to me. She goes, yeah. She said, my mind didn't really change, but I just wasn't so attached to it. I was like, wow. How was that for you? She's like, oh, yeah, that's, I like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's fun to, when patients will notice something with how their own internal process works, and, and they say something that you know is helpful for them, right? The way they say it, it's like a relief. And all you got, was, all you got to do is go, hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Well, you can investigate that. Just let them go. Exactly. Pay attention. Yeah, I agree. So one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you, just well, I'm interested in chatting with all kinds of people, but but one of the things I was I was curious about, I had a treatment from an acupuncturist here in St. Louis where I live, who's done some study with you recently. And uh she bled one of my law points the last time that I saw her. And it was um, extraordinary, actually. Like, almost instantly. It's like, oh, wow. Hmm. Yes, I do feel different. Felt like she juiced my liver up and then sent me out to enjoy the springtime. You know, like, fill it full of blood and have at it. That's the way, I, that's the way it felt to me. And then we talked a bit. She said, yeah, she, she'd been doing some study with you and you're very keen on the law points. So, so I do want to chat with you a bit about those, but before we get into that, I, I'm wondering if you have thoughts about other, I'm going to say, dynamic aspects of points, like like she cleft points. They're supposed to have quite a, a punch in getting rid of obstructions, and there's things like source points, which have profound effects on the channels. I'd like to get your thoughts about some of these different say, filters that we put on points and, and, and how we think about or how you think about that influencing channel dynamics and the work that you do. There's little that I enjoy talking about more. The primary channels, in my experience, are sort of about the, uh, the triaging of life, to borrow a phrase from my friend and colleague, Diane Gioso. And, you know, we, we experience life, the, the present tense, the now, via the primary channels, but there's all of these offshoots, little reservoirs and tributaries and pathways that break off from the, from the primary channels. And the way I tend to explain it in, in class is that you know, if we're walking through life sort of like Frankenstein with our arms outstretched in, into the world, meeting the world, trying to grasp and connect with and manipulate the world, you know, the, the first point is the Jing Well point, which 
wakes up consciousness because it's the first point that connects us to the commonality, the totality, the the social matrix that we live in. And the the second point, the Ying Spring, kind of, you know, being a fire point, it has that connection to Shen and spirit. It has that connection to to us manifesting ourselves in the world. And so it fires in response, you know, if you if you think you're 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 walking through life with your arms outstretched and life itself is sort of enveloping you like a glove as you move through it. We have these different responses to that experience. And so the Ying Spring point kind of fires in response to the stimuli that we received in the Jing Well point. And the shoestream behind that essentially, you know, the, the, the yin spring fires up the yang, the shoestream fires up the yin. We have to have the two connected. So we kind of meet. It's indicated for damp conditions because it can either flush pathology out, meaning tough, challenging, painful experiences that stimulate us from the world, whether that's actual physical pain, like we sprained an ankle and inflammation starts first at the ying spring point and swelling starts second at the shoe stream point or whether it's you know psychological and emotional and we kind of push back and those are all the points that i associate with kind of the way level the sinew level the exterior and then you know the next point is the yuan source point which is our purpose that's our it's like our kidney it's like the emissary of our kidney in the world it's where the source energy the yuan level energy meets the exterior the world that we live in but let's not kid ourselves life is not easy every day i mean it's a challenge right so when these challenging experiences get past the sinew level, meaning we couldn't leave, we couldn't run away, we couldn't protect ourselves, whatever it may be, that's where you start getting this this idea of latency, where we have to divert, where we can't handle the totality of our experience. We, you know, the loss of a partner, hearing about really bad news, getting fired from your job, that's a little much to handle all at once in the present tense, in the present moment. And so the body literally starts diverting this with these different points away from our present tense experience into latency so that we can not break down in the middle of our day and get through work. And the first place that happens is the lows. You know, they have that direct connection to the yuan source point. So we siphon that off into this reservoir of a sort of emotional stagnancy where we where we hold that stuff. And it continues. I mean, I, I you know, I could go on and on and on. The she cleft point is, you know, I'm a nerd. I, I love Lord of the Rings. The she cleft point is Gandalf slamming the gate saying, You shall not pass. That it, it it's when things got past this protective triage system that we have. And the only option is to slam the gate. You do not want that pathology getting to the heart. You do not want it getting to the torso, to the interior, to the organs, where it really threatens our actual survival. So, you know, you'll note with all of those points, it's basically 
closing a gate and saying all pathology must stay distal to this. It can't come in anymore, you know? And once you get to the Hussey point, which has a close connection to the divergent channels, then we divert, you know, if it's gotten past all of those defenses, then we start to divert it into deeper, more hidden space in the body, the pelvis, the joints, where there's room, you know, the chest cavity, where there's actual space to sort of hold it in latency. And so the, you know, this is what I think gets lost. And I'm not a scholar. I, I, I frankly, if I'm being completely honest, I couldn't care less. I'm a practitioner. I only care about what works. But, you know, when Chinese medicine made the move from channel dynamics to point energetics, I think it lost its way completely because the point energetics only exist because of the channel dynamics. I mean, the, the best example that I like to use is stomach 36. It's like the preeminent acupuncture point, which is a joke. The only reason stomach 36 is what it is is because, you know, Chinese acupuncturists hundreds of years ago were prudish and didn't want to needle stomach 30. You know? And it, it's really as simple as that. So, you know, I think there's a lot lost. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I'm just, it's always been a clear, obvious part of my life mission to do what, you know, to whatever little I can contribute to trying to to help those that train back on the on the rails you know it, it it's become very westernized it's become very sort of western mindset and i think there's a lot of value lost in that i think i think understanding the body as a channel of pathways representing the pathways that we actually take in our lives you know that that this is not theoretical that it's a living philosophy that's acted out in the body on a daily basis, you know? And I try to remind my students of that. Don't spin off too far into the weeds. You know this because you're human, which means you've experienced all of this. And all we have to do is connect your experience to the channels. And I think your practice changes dramatically. So as I hear you talking about this, the words, oh, the channels are perception keeps going through my mind i think so i mean i i think each one of these channel systems you know that's that's why we break this down right like the the metal channels are different from the earth channels are different from the wood channels that's a different experience that we relate to as that we have as human beings i mean i think that's that's what makes this medicine brilliant is the Chinese just observed life and superimposed it on the human body. They observed nature and superimposed it on the, on the human body. And so, you know, and then we further break those down into yin and yang. So their channels are pathways that we can choose to walk in our lives. And I think that's even the idea of the, of the constitution plays in because I think that the, the development of the constitution is a function of which channels you expect to traverse more throughout your life, right? Earth people come in expecting to do more earth 
things have more earth struggles. So they need more earth energy in order to do that. And, you know, people might spend a lot of time in wood channels, struggling with jealousy, struggling with anger, struggling with resentment. Or they might spend a lot more time in water channels, struggling with, you know, water issues are really deep. They're really internal. They're really sort of almost psychic, poetic, you know, struggling to sort of bring themselves up and manifest what that... What, you know, what is at the depth of that ocean out into the world? That's a challenge for most, most water folks, you know? And so that's what I see the, the channel systems as, are these pathways that we've chosen to, to walk through in our lives. And it's ironic, right, that, you know, stagnation is sort of the source of, like, most disease, but it's also the source of the most power. There's a lot of energy built up behind stagnation, precisely because you're struggling to navigate that for yourself, you know? And so when we bleed lows, for example, like where you started, and we release a little bit of that pressure, a little bit of that burden, and we allow the blood to flow, and blood and emotion, I think, are synonymous— and we allow that blood to flow, then there's a whole backlog of power behind that. So it's like what is making us sick is actually also the thing that can free us, you know? And that's where I think the potential lies in, in acupuncture. That's powerful. I, I have the image of a hydroelectric dam. You've got this big stagnation pool of water behind this, you know, blockage. And used in a particular way, you can generate a lot of electricity, power. Very well said. <laughs> Very well said. Yep. I couldn't agree more. You know, and, and it's the other thing too. And you, you know, you hear this in stories, you get it all over the place. In some ways, it's the hero's journey. In some ways, it's what Jung talks about that, you know, until you take some of that shadow, whatever shadow it is that you've had to stuff away and you bring it up to the light, then some transformation has the potential to occur, right? Heroes in a hero's journey always have to go down and deal with the monster. Part of the trip, right? Part of the process of transforming what's been stuffed away into something vital, powerful, and useful. Yeah, and we're all heroes. You know, we're all heroes in our own story. Well, hopefully. I, I mean, I think, I believe so. Either way, even, you know, even if it all sort of implodes, I tend to try to really stay away from the, from the judgment, you know, because who who knows who 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 am I to say you know who am I to judge anybody else's experience even if it looks from the outside like it's you know nothing's nothing's really working I don't know I don't think anybody ha you know has those kinds of existential answers ultimately we all have ideas about it but you know I definitely try to really steer clear of judging people's experience because I don't only they really know. And if you, if you view our journey over the course of lifetimes, you know, that might be great success. We might need to, you know, I've certainly, 
I mean, I think most people have. I've certainly had really, really, really challenging times in my life, really traumatic stuff that, you know, I, I just simply wouldn't be here without it. You know, I wouldn't be where I am, and I like where I am. So, you know, I, I try, yeah, I try to stay away from that. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews 2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. You know, you bring up judgment and this is, this is something I've been chewing on a bit lately. And I've been chewing on it because as a practitioner, I feel like I need to use my clinical judgment in service of my patients. So like judging their experience, or judging who they are, well, you know, we all got opinions about each other. I do my best to keep that, you know, outside the door of the clinic. At the same time, I feel like I do need to use judgment, good clinical judgment. If someone is really bogged down in a lot of earth damp, and it's causing them a lot of suffering. They need to be dried out a bit. You know, it, it's up to me to see that and do what I can to help with that. I I would absolutely agree, and but I would I fall back on my my you know when I my early life was as a fairly serious musician, and uh, before I got into all of this, and it does feel like another lifetime ago. But anyway, the one of the things that you do is you study scales over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? So that you know it so well that you can what? Forget it. And I think that applies to, you know, what we're doing, right? Like you hone and craft and study and practice and focus on your clinical skills such that when you're in it, now this is a lofty goal, don't get me wrong, this is a lifelong challenge, <laughs> lifelong study, but so that when you're in your clinical practice, that the, you know, what I'm striving for is that clinical judgment is almost second nature. And what I hope in my treatments is that it's a conversation, largely one in which I'm simply listening and doing what I'm told. For a long time, I had that kind of Western mind where it's my responsibility to fix this for them. 
And I have since lost that, thankfully, because that's just simply too much pressure. So, you know, these days, all of my treatments revolve around nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'm very mindful of keeping this out of my treatment room, other than listening to the body via pulse, via observation, via, you know, the tongue, smells, other things that we've been trained in, right? And doing what I'm told to do, what I'm asked to do. So in that sense, I am nothing more than a facilitator for what the body is trying to do anyway. That's a really important aspect, I think, that gets lost a lot of the time, is that the body is always, everything that it does, even the pathology that it creates, is in service of its highest good. There's a reason that that damp stagnation exists, you know? There's a reason that blood stagnation exists. You know, I was talking to a, to a friend the other day, you know, having struggles, you know, with their kid teenagerdom. I mean, that's, I can't imagine. I don't have kids. It looks like a, a nightmare trying to help them navigate this stuff. But if you're in that, those shark infested waters of the teenage years, let's not kid ourselves. It's a nightmare. You couldn't pay me to do that again. Depends on the teenage, it depends on the teenager that you are dealing with. Fair enough, but they, you know, kids can be pretty nasty. Kids are more unfiltered, that's for sure. Yeah, and having a little blood stagnation in response to a very threatening uh, emotional, you know, community that you're living in is not a bad answer. That's an appropriate response, you know? And so, I, you know, if we can kind of switch our mindset from, you know, this is all pathological to this is a, a reasonable response to the experience that somebody's having, it changes your whole perspective on what pathology even means, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. No, I, I love it. Looking at pathology as best possible choice for a moment. Now, I'm thinking about kids in social media in particular, like a little bit of dampness and I don't care would be really helpful for those kids. Like, oh yeah, someone's doing this thing and that. Like, yeah, so what big deal? Instead of, oh my God, now I got to like fire up my gallbladder and cut some heads off. Right. How are you going to say, I mean, think about the amount of stimulation. You know, that's what I'm talking about when I say like things are getting harder. There's so much... I can't imagine. There's, you know, I don't even do that stuff. And there's so much overstimulation in the world that dampness would be a, is a totally appropriate response if you're just inundated every day. And look how much dampness we have in our society. And we go, oh, it's all pathogenic. You know, look at all this obesity. And well, maybe it's, I mean, yes, it brings problems. I'm not saying it doesn't. For sure it does. I often like to ask the question of, how is this a useful response? Maybe gone awry a bit, maybe habituated in a way that's not useful, but how, how is it trying to help? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that changes your entire perspective on medicine, you know, and what you're trying to do. Because now you're not looking at pathology. Exactly. You're looking at a perfectly healthy natural response to the triaging of life. And now we're back to the points and the channel systems and how they do that differently. 
you know, that the, the shoestream point is responsible for a lot of that dampness pushed up to the exterior, including our our sense organs, so that we're a little bit numb. Because if there's just far too much stimulation coming in, then numbness is an appropriate response. Because we can't handle all of that. I certainly couldn't. I don't know how these kids do it. Well, a lot of them are on drugs these days. And, and when I mean drugs, I mean like the, you know, mood drugs that you get from your MD type doctor. I mean, incredible amount of young people these days, teenagers, are on psychoactive medication. It's, I mean, to me, it's worrisome. Again, I'm, you know, I'm a citizen of a different generation, but, you know, I remember, you know, going through teenage years, young adult years, and, you know, is it hard? It's really fucking hard. Are you anxious? Yes, you are. Should you be? Yes, you should. Why? Life ain't so easy. But what do you learn from learning to, like, metabolize your own experience instead of shunting it off? Now, I hear you. There are times you need to shunt things off. Like, you know what? I'm not saying no, but I'm saying no right now. Exactly. What happens if you never or you rarely, you rarely get the invitation to reinvestigate the no, not now. What about, like, how do we invite people back into, hmm, maybe it would be helpful to pause and reconsider. You know, low points and hussy points. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, uh, you know, those are the really the two places where the body starts to pack away that overwhelming experience that we can't handle in the now and in the healthy system i mean like like you just said if you're going through your day and you get a bit of bad news somebody you love was just in a car wreck you can't process all of that in the moment you can't process that immediately so we have to shunt some of and i'm using extreme example obviously but we have to shunt some of that off right but in a healthy system you shunt that off into latency so you're not you know breaking down in public spaces and somewhere where you wouldn't feel safe or comfortable doing it. And you hold that in latency and you go home where you do feel safe, where you do feel comforted, where you do have support, where you can let it out, where you can cry it out. And so it's this dynamic where, you know, we put it away for a little bit and we leak it out for a little bit. And then we stuff some more in there and then we leak it out in appropriate ways and at appropriate times. But I couldn't agree more. The problem is all we do these days is stuff it into latency, just endlessly. And so then you end up with a situation where the low reservoirs are full. There's no more room at the inn. You know? There's no place else for it to go. And then we fill up the divergence and the joints and we end up with you know, chronic arthritis and degeneration. And you, know, you, you see this manifest physically over time, over the course of a lifetime, when the body isn't given the chance to release. And you know, the challenge of medicine is there's no free ride. I don't think there's any magical point or treatment, certainly not that I've ever found, that treats the experience of being human. You could bleed low points till, from now until the end of time. People are still going to be human. They're still going to struggle. They're still going to have challenges, you know, just like they're still going to have joy and and love and everything else. I've never met anybody, and I've seen severe, severe cases of depression, and nobody that I've ever seen is depressed all the time. Everybody has good moments once in a while, you know. But that's where we've landed, is that we're so completely deluged by 
you know, by the challenges and the trauma, that we never have a chance to let it out. And that's what I think, you know, bleeding the lows in particular does. I mean, I joke with my students all the time. If, if there is any reason that I can find to bleed low points, I will do it. <laughs> Always. It's the first place I want to treat because it's the most freeing to the spirit. They are the treatments that afford... I think the most potential for the spirit to see beyond its own burdens, its own emotional stagnation, and the potential that, that is beyond that. And that's why I love them. We're doing them right now in my mentorship. And I, I think I went 30, 45 minutes over last week because I just couldn't shut up. <laughs> I do get worked up. <laughs> now, I'm thinking about law points. For sure, they're often easy to find on the legs, just given physiology and aging and, and things like that. Are you always looking for, I mean, when, and, and again, when I think of like bleeding little veins and things, it's like, oh, look, little spider vein. Good. Let me, let me have at that, you know, but that, let's release that. What about places where maybe you're not seeing spider veins or, you, or are you always seeing objective blood stagnation at a low point when you bleed it? No. Uh, in fact, often you are seeing the exact opposite in more, how would I put this? I guess in, in more straightforward cases, you're often, you're, you're almost always seeing little, you know, indications of blood stagnation, spider veins, darker skin, those types of things. Once that particular system becomes so overwhelmed with pathology, uh, that it it essentially implodes. Like there's only so long we can s sit here and hold our uh, accumulation, you know, ho hold our head above the above the roiling sea of our accumulation, you know. And once we sink beneath that, the blood stagnation sinks beneath that as well. So what ends up happening in more chronic cases is that it actually ends up looking more like deficiency like the the points actually appear sunken they appear pale a lack of blood a lack of color rather than the opposite and there's you know there's different ways that we that we go about you know trying to trying to balance that trying to address that uh-huh now so you would bleed those you wouldn't like put moxa on them I almost always, I, I, my students ask me, do you always do this? And my answer is, I never always do anything. But most of the time, when those points are under that burden, so they've sunk and they're deeper and there's sort of paleness or patchiness or whiteness indicating that, I want to moxa first. Because it's, you know, yin doesn't move itself, right? Yang moves yin. It, it, blood simply does not move itself. It requires qi. It requires that yang energy. So for it to be able to release in the first place, because those won't bleed, those points won't bleed. If you just try to lance at them, they won't, nothing will happen. There's, because there's not enough, you know, the, 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 the heaviness of the stagnation has overwhelmed the yang. So I try to add yang first, put yang in the system, bring, you know, bring redness to the point. That's an indication that there's yang there. Then you try to bleed them. And that, you know, creates a much different result. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, I'm thinking all of a sudden, 
Okay, blood stagnation. You got yin blood stagnation. You got yang blood stagnation. Yang blood stagnation is, there's that spider vein. Have at it. Yin stagnation is what you're just talking about. It's sunken. It's cold. It's deeper. It's maybe pale. Not enough yang. Bring in some yang. Tonify first, disperse second. Can't remember where that is in the classics, but I know it's in there somewhere. For good reason, right? I mean, it's kind of common sense, isn't it? You have to have the, you know, that's one of the things I try to hit home all the time is you can't, you know, I'm hesitant to say the word manipulate, but I mean, I guess that's sort of what acupuncture does, right? You can't work with this stuff. You can't work with these energies if people don't have them. You know, that I always want to address what's challenged in the now at the primary channel level first. And sometimes that takes as little as five minutes. Let's, you know, moxa this, you know, un- unblock a little bit of this, just get things moving so that we get a clearer picture. And then you can move into secondary or, you know, or complement channels. They're called secondary complement channels for a reason. They're not primary. They're not primary. You know, you got to, the primaries come first in my practice. So I'm always doing that first and then addressing, you know, what happens in the secondary or complement channels. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Okay. You just said something that sometimes I hear something and a bunch of stuff suddenly snaps to grid. Let me run this by you and see if I'm, if I'm actually making sense of this in a reasonable way or if I'm just making shit up. You're talking about how <laughs> talking about how what's important is uh, to take care of the challenge in the now. You also talk about listening to the body and doing what you're told. That that sounds like the same thing. Right? You're you're listening for what needs to happen. And earlier in the conversation talking about the trouble getting past this source point, and now the first line of defense is the law, and that moves into latency. And so, and I get that sense. Oh, we got this thing, we can't deal with it. Now we're going to shunt it off to the side. I get this image that we, in our embodied life here, we're actually living in different time streams simultaneously. 
There's the now and what's happening, and there's something that got stored away in the law. All right, that, that that's a slightly different time stream. You get a little further along, there's something dug way down deep into the divergent. That's a different time stream. You are sp- spot on. You're not making shit up. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I think I joked just last week, actually, about this being like the Chinese version of the, you know, of the multiverse theory. Because that's what these are. I mean, these are, you know, we choose, you know, at at any fork in the road, you necessarily have to make a decision. There's simply no other way to go forward. You cannot go on both, which means there is that potential, you know, on that other path that you didn't take, right? And so, yeah, that's what we see with these channel systems is, I mean, everybody knows we live in the now. We can't possibly be anywhere else. There's no other option. But we're we're absolutely informed by, influenced by, you know, what we are carrying with us. These stagnations that we've, you know, sent off into latency that we're still holding in the body. Those necessarily inform our now. And part of part of the ideal, I think, the, the hope of good treatment is that we we release and free as much of that from ourselves and our patients such that we can live in the now with the most freedom, with the most potential for, you know, the heart the, the most important relationship in Chinese medicine, the heart kidney connection, the heart manifesting in the world, our purpose held in the kidney. That's the essence of it. I mean, when you boil it all down, that's the only thing that matters. And anything that gets in the way of that free expression of that potential, you know, is something that I want to generally try to address in treatment so that people have the, the freedom to, you know, to live their lives as cleanly, as clearly, with as much clarity of that expression, of that purpose rising and manifesting through the heart as possible, you know? That's the essence of it for me in my practice. So we're looking to help unencumber our patients. You know, it's so funny. In our modern world, and maybe through history, I don't know. I only live in the modern world, as far as I can tell. The tacit agreement with medicine is, I've got a problem, and yo, you doctor, you're going to take away my problem. That's a tacit agreement with medicine. And certainly with Western medicine. And like sometimes, yeah, like like your arm's broke. <laughs> like, put it back together. But again, it's the tacit agreement. It's like the marketing promise that gets made. Often enough, people will say things to us like, you got rid of my back pain. I'm always really reluctant to take any responsibility for anything that happens in a patient because that ain't my domain. My domain is to help them do what they're capable of doing. They're the ones who do it. But it's so easy and so inviting. Yes, to like, oh man, look at me. I actually am a good doctor. Exactly. Exactly. You just nailed it. For me, that's the that's the problem. 
I was going to say that to me is kind of an obstruction that I carry as a practitioner. I feel like I need to be very, very careful about that because that's going to get in the way of helping my patients when I'm looking to feel good about their experience, them feeling good about their experience. Exactly. That's ego, right? That's nothing but ego. And my goal is always to get out of the way, to be, you know, to, to have as little to do with it as possible. And I agree that that is the tacit agreement with medicine. And I think that applies to, to, to all forms of medicine. We all fall into that. Look, we're all human. No, nobody got into Chinese medicine or any other medicine because they're heartless or cruel, because we enjoy people, you know, seeing people suffer. That's, uh, that's insane, right? Uh, we all got into this because we care, because it matters to us, because we want to alleviate suffering, which is a, a tough one because... You know, every spiritual tradition in the history of the entire world acknowledges that suffering is a part of the part of the game. If you came here, you're suffering. You know, and now you wanted to. And now you want to be a doctor. Welcome to the deep end. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I don't think that serves anybody. I don't think that serves us as practitioners. I don't think that serves our patients because think about the dynamic. Then where's all the power? They can't do it without you. If you fix their back pain, then they need you to fix everything else. And I think that's the exact opposite of the dynamic I am hoping to create in my treatment room. You know, so I press people. I push back every single solitary time anybody says anything along those lines to me. Any of my patients, I push back. I didn't have anything to do with it. And I don't have anything to do with it. Actually, so so here's where I think it gets tricky. We do have something to do with it. There is, there's like a catalytic, enzymatic, whatever you want to call it, there's something that because of the interaction we had with them, they're different and now they're capable of unfolding more coherently who they are. I think it's because of the interaction they had with themselves. I do think we facilitate that. There's something that happens in the facilitation. What would you call that besides facilitation? Yeah, I would call that facilitation. But I'm so cautious of it that if anything, I err on the side of, you know, just really trying to take myself out of the equation as much as possible. Because I really do. I I will absolutely stand by this. My goal and my practice, in fairness to myself, has become to simply respond to the body is so wise and I am simply responding to its requests, but I didn't decide the treatment. I didn't decide on what we're doing in the treatment room. The, the language of these channels, the discussion, the communication that we're having while taking a pulse right? The body is just using that language to me, or I guess you could say I'm filtering it through that language to respond to it, right? But it is always leading the the way. And I've done this long enough now where, you know, it's usually pretty clear, do this, this, and this first, check and check back with me. And I do those things and I check back with the pulses. And then it says, do this, this, and this, and I do it. And then I check back. You know, that's how my treatments go. I'm constantly 
maintaining that line of communication with their heart, you know, as far as what I need to be doing for them. But they are, and I, I will definitely stand by this, they are running the show. They are deciding the treatment for themselves. I, I get it. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. This is something I'm working on myself and how I talk to myself about what I do. Because again, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. My job is to respond. There's still this something that I'm doing where I go, oh, here's what I think it's saying. So I'm making a choice to do something and then see how the body likes that. Do you like it? Do you not like it? I totally agree. I think it comes back to that separation between the mind and the heart. I'm trying to ask those questions from the heart rather than from the mind. You know, so it's it's a question of because that's the ultimate right the 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 heart is the the emperor. I mean, that's the it's the end of the road so to speak, right? The it, like the buck stops with the heart, right? <laughs> All of a sudden I've got this image of Harry Truman as the emperor right. <laughs> <laughs> and being a Missouri boy, you know, that kind of works for me. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's where I, I am trying to create the clearest line of communication between spirit. And I think that's why pulse taking is so potent because otherwise we've got one person's heart via the tongue, via the sense organ of the tongue, wagging away and landing in another person's sense organ of the ears, the kidney. So we're creating heart-kidney. Right now, as we speak, we're creating heart-kidney communication between the two of us, from you know our hearts to each other's kidneys via the ear. And the pulse bypasses that, right? There's no speech. So it's direct. It's coming. You are feeling literally with the blood that reaches the tips of your fingers. You are connecting directly to the spirit of the patient and trying to bypass the mind. And that's where I'm, you know, trying to be when I when I treat. You know, we're all we're all fallible. I mean, we're we're all human. This is of course we are. And you know, the joy of the practice is exactly this kind of um, investigation going on here. How can I be helpful? Because as one of my teachers always like to tell us, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about your patient. Yeah. He'd remind us again and again, it's not about you. Always. Yeah. I remember this is this like, you know, over 25 years ago, one of my colleagues, classmates coming back from giving a treatment and she says, oh yeah, I did this great treatment. I feel so good about it. I remember this teacher, he goes, well, I hope it was helpful for your patient. I was like, oh, shit. Wow. That's right. Have I made that mistake? Yes, I have. Do I still make that mistake? Less than I used to. But I do. Right? It's, it's uh, no part of being human, but it sure does make for an interesting day, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, your greatest teacher is always your patients, period. For sure. Wow. Well, Sean, this is... Uh, We've covered quite a bit of territory here. I'd like to uh, do a little shift here as we wind this thing down and uh, kind of do a palate cleanser, a little what some other podcasters call a lightning round, some very quick questions, short answers, just as a way to kind of let things shift a bit as we uh, land this plane. How's that sound? I'm ready for lightning round. 
lightning round. Okay. I always learn so much cool stuff in a lightning round. It's a lot of fun. So what are you reading right now? Well, truthfully, I'm reading um, Jeffrey Yuen's uh, Nisa lectures for the umpteenth time. Currently, I'm on the lows again. Fiction. Your favorite book of fiction. All-time favorite book? Well, whatever comes to mind at the moment. Oh, I mean, all-time favorite book is of fiction is The Lord of the Rings. You are a geek. I'm a huge geek. Proud of it. Okay. What's the worst advice you've ever received? Well, what's coming to mind is my parents constantly telling me that it would get better when I was a kid. <laughs> it's just a lie. It's just a lie. Just They're just trying to keep you in the game. Okay. What is one thing that most people think is true, but you think is nonsense? This might be controversial, but I, I honestly think it has something to do with the idea that you can heal. I believe that you can come to a place of acceptance. And I think that is healing. But but we labor under this myth that if we did the right things and ate the right things and meditated the right way and got the right treatments, that we would be beyond our challenges and our suffering. And I've just never, I've never found that to be the case. I think the people who do the most profound healing work accept their challenges and their suffering. Wow. Sean Tootin, that is, I think, a great place to put a pin in for today. Well, I, I enjoyed myself immensely, and uh, I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you so much. It's really been an honor and a pleasure. It's been a delight. Thanks so much. find it a helpful reminder that often enough what shows up as pathology is the body's best possible response of the moment, that our troubles can be both enemies and allies. It's easy in our fix-this-now world of microbial murder and machine view of the body to think that we're mechanisms, when in fact we are ecosystems. The promise of modern medicine in a world of commerce is that we have a solution for sale. The system of insurance payments reinforces this perspective. And so it's easy to forget that our treatments are conversational, not transactional. And as the Tao Te Ching reminds us in chapter 17, that when the work is done, the people say, we did it ourselves. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. 